Hello, friends. Welcome. It's lovely to be here. I'm Pam Pastor, your host for the Grace and Peace at God Love Wins podcast. As believers, we are called to be faithful under pressure. Now, allow me to speak a blessing over you and offer some encouragement as we prepare to enter into the presence of God today. You know, one of God's promises to us is that He will multiply grace and peace when believers diligently strive after a deep revelation or knowledge of God's Word and His Son, Jesus. We learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Simply put, we claim God's promises as yes that ours, ours in Christ. It is God's power that we see in his promises, and his word promises new mercies every day, meaning we have redemption in Christ daily. So let's prepare ourselves now to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Lord, we're thankful for you, and we bless your holy name. Lord, we praise you because you are the creator, the owner, the leader, sustainer, our savior, and eminent success. We make a joyful shout as we come together in praise to worship, knowing that our approach is active rather than passive. You, God, alone are worthy of our praise because you remain constant. We can know you for who you are. Therefore, we know what you do and we choose to praise you. The Apostle Paul teaches us much about your promises and wisdom. Specifically, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, God alone made it possible for me to be in Christ Jesus. For my benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. He is the one who made me acceptable to God, and he made me pure and holy and gave himself to purchase my freedom. And you know, friends, when we read that, substitute you in there for where it says, for my benefit, that means you. And so personalize these scripture verses and you'll see that the word of God is alive and it talks directly to you. Now, if life is truly all about choices and the consequences that follow, then is it good to construct lists of pros versus cons? Hmm, Maybe, right? Well, perhaps we might consider deliberate list making more often, or we can just merely read the word of God and have a knowing deep within our hearts the best choices to make. Today, we're going to look into one of the men who tops every Jew's list of heroes. His name, of course, is Moses. He's been revered by Judaism, Islam, and that of Christianity. You know, Moses possibly sat down with paper and quill and began looking at what Egypt had to offer him, and then conversely, everything that God and his people Israel had to offer. From the outside peering in, this was no contest. Egypt, hands down, was the clear winner, but not so fast. Moses had his sights set on eternity, not temporal gains of the world. He chose rightly, and he picked Christ over everything. 
We learn in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Torah or the Pentateuch, that Moses is credited for recording God's word in these first five books, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20. Moses is providing principles for governing kings. And he says, also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites, and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So why did God bother to have Moses record these words to the kings? Well, first, we need to understand in the days of the kings, people did not have personal copies of the scriptures. It wasn't like nowadays when you probably own multiple copies in print and may even have a few digital versions on your phone as well. Well, instead, the kings would listen to the Levites, who were the tribe of priests. Here, however, we're told that God was saying that a king should copy this law in the book and then read it every day, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. And copy meant hand copy. No, there weren't any Kinko's copies available back in the day. God wants all believers to know, understand, and apply his word. This was the purpose of God's directive. This would allow the king to personally benefit from the written word. And when we write and place pen to paper, we reinforce what we are physically writing down. This creates muscle memory and our recall of scripture penetrates our hearts. I've been doing that for quite some time now and it's amazing how much more sticks with you and really sinks in penetrating that heart. So it's maybe a stretch, however, but imagine with me that all of our great leaders would heed Moses's words and each would have written their own copies of scripture, at least the first five books of the Torah. And Moses didn't stop here. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 9 instructs Israel further, stating you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The children of Israel would write scriptures out and place them in boxes known as phylacteries. Then they placed the boxes at their doorpost or on their gates. And furthermore, Moses instructed the Israelites to inscribe stones. Think of memorial stones. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 2 and 3 says that Moses said, And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you've crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. These written stones were to be set up on Mount Ebal, at the base of which lay the city of Shechem. 
the place where the Lord first appeared to Abraham and where Abraham built his first altar to the Lord. So we see the instructions from God given through Moses was for the Israelites to write the word of God on the doorpost and gates of their houses, as well as on large whitewashed rocks or stones of memorial. I write out my podcast episodes because something magical happens. New meanings, deeper revelation, and new connections are made from the paper my hand becomes, the pencil of God within, and saturates my heart. Moses also went on to instruct that the written word be carried. Everywhere the king went, the word was to adjoin him. Imagine if our national leaders had this same type of companion which accompanied them. The word is a living document. Finally, the word has to be committed to be read by the king daily. And we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 20 that a blessing was waiting for writing, carrying, and committing oneself to the word of God. By obeying this word, we grow in the fear of the Lord, and simultaneously, our worldly fears just shrink and fade away. So let's return to Moses now. Like Moses, God loves to work through people. And Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 1 teaches us that Moses was indeed a man of God. It says, now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Further in the same book, we learn that Moses was a servant of God. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 5 records, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. This report of Moses' death kept Moses from being magnified beyond what a man should be. Meanwhile, the title servant of the Lord maintained the Lord's high esteem of Moses in the eyes of the people. But is it possible that Moses was God's friend too? Well, yes, we're told in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The pillar of cloud was in fact an appearance of Yahweh. Yahweh is another name for God. This is not a literal face-to-face appearance that you and I would experience. Exodus 33 verse 20 says, But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So Moses had seen God's astounding acts during the Exodus, but now he wanted to see more. He wanted to see God's glory. And God granted this bold request by passing this goodness before Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 10 recorded, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Until Jesus, no one lived who was greater than Moses. This is a remarkable statement in the context of the entire word of God. And Moses died at 120 years old. We're told his eyes never dimmed, nor did his natural vigor. This is incredible, a truly a big accomplishment when living within a fallen world. And the Apostle Paul, who is highly esteemed and credited with writing over two-thirds of the New Testament, is said to have struggled with a thorn in his flesh. Some scholars have attributed that to a loss of eyesight. His final letters were recorded by scribes. 
So while Moses was a friend of God, Jesus too reinforced friendship with his creation. We learn in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You see, you are God's friend. I'm God's friend because of what Jesus has done for us. So Moses was a mighty man, and earlier we said he recorded the first five books of the Bible. And in order, we start with Genesis, where he is not mentioned, and then we proceed to Exodus, followed by Leviticus, Numbers, and finally Deuteronomy. It took all four of these other books to convey all of the facts about this man of God. You see, Moses' life can be segregated into one-third increments. The first 40, and this is 40 years, the next 40, and the final 40. Looking at this first 40-year period, we learn that Moses would grow up in Pharaoh's court. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 records, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. And did you know that Moses' story can be traced back to another beloved Bible character? That's right, it can. The story of Joseph. Now, I was surprised to learn this, and you may as well. So according to Dr. David Jeremiah, we learn because of Joseph's strategic placement in Egypt when the famines came that would have destroyed the Israelites, Joseph had already prepared for their survival. Jacob and his family had some 70 people who had come to Egypt and settled down in an outlying district called Goshen or Goshen. And as the children of Jacob began to multiply and acquire more property and prominence, they ultimately became greater in number and in power than the Egyptians living around them, according to Exodus chapter 1 verses 7 through 9. The new Pharaoh decided that something had to be done. So he put the taskmasters over the Israelites and afflicted them with burdens. As if that weren't enough, Pharaoh also instructed the two leading midwives of the Hebrews to murder all the newborn Hebrew males. But Exodus chapter 1 verse 17 tells us that the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but rather saved the male children alive. In desperation, Pharaoh commanded the people by saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Exodus chapter one, verse 22. Now it was during this awful time that Moses was born. So let's look back to the book of Leviticus. This means concerning the Levites. The tribe of Levi is one of the 12 original tribes. Aaron was the high priest who would instruct the other priest within the Levites. And Moses' parents were Levites. In this book, Moses needed a way to explain to the people how a holy God could live among an unholy people. But fortunately, Moses' parents were great in their faith. Through this faith, they hid their son in the very river that Pharaoh had instructed the young Hebrew infant boys to die in. 
And most, Moses' parents saw his potential right away as a newborn. It's recorded by a historian named Josephus that Moses' father had a dream that Moses would deliver his people. And I don't doubt this one bit, as this is one of God's methods for communicating with his people through visions and dreams. Now Moses' parents' faith sought protection for him. We learn in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 that his parents hid him for three months and Pharaoh's daughter would discover Moses and raise him as her own. Now Moses' parents again acted out of their faith that this was the right decision to make. But God had a plan and we see it being fulfilled. When Moses had the upbringing of an Egyptian, He was learned in all wisdom and mighty in words and deeds. He was well-versed in the wisdom of the Egyptian sciences. He was a statesman and a soldier, as evidenced by him being mighty in words. And God had gifted him with unique oratorical abilities. Great victories were achieved in Egypt due to Moses' leadership. But weren't the Egyptians really the enemy? Well, yes, yes, they were. Amid all the fine luxury of an Egyptian world, considered to be the finest in all the world at this time, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Looks like his biological parents' faith had rubbed off on him. Possibly a future nature or nurture episode here, right? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 tells us that Moses consciously made a decision and it's recorded choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So right here, people were scratching their heads saying, this guy is making a mistake. But you and I have the benefit of history to see he was right in choosing God. Verse 26 makes it clear, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You see, many people tend to give in to temptation, not because they want too much, but because they settle for too little. Let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to say it again. Many people tend to give in to temptation, not because they want too much, but because they settle for far too little. So Moses' middle period was one of isolation. Here he killed an Egyptian who was harming a Hebrew slave. And word was getting out. So Moses fled to the land of Midian where he had two sons. And God works all things together for our good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, according to Romans 8.28. Moses needed some adversity to learn some important things, which an Egyptian prosperous life was not fully able to teach. In Moses' final 40 years, God would validate him. He began his work at 80 years old. Friends, with God in our corner, it is never too late for us to go to work for him. And Moses would become the leader of the Israelites, battling the Egyptian Pharaoh as he led his people in and through the wilderness. And at the age of 120, he got mad one day. He struck a rock in anger. Now, God forgave him for for the sin, but there were consequences to pay. 
He would not be the ultimate deliverer for this fourth generation of Israelites into the promised land. He would get them right up to the door where all they had to do was cross, and that would be done by his successor, Joshua. But Moses, no doubt, is a national hero. He stepped in, bridging the gap for his people, placing personal gain behind the love and needs of God's people. And although Moses' life was far from perfect, he overcame murder and anger by being a truly humble and faithful servant of God. You see, none of our past mistakes define us for our lifetime. When we repent and ask God for forgiveness, he removes our transgressions, our sins, no matter what they are from as far as from the east is to the west. If we look back over time, we learn that all great leaders have a humble disposition. They have an understanding that they are nothing without the light of God's illuminating up their lives. And Moses delivered the Israelites to the edge of the promised land as a whole, as lawful citizens of God's kingdom. Friends, I hope you'll consider joining me again tomorrow for more adventures with God's people. And friends, if you have not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was then placed on to Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us upon our conversion. While it's true, we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus. What we can do is show him gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening our relationship daily. Today, friends, if this is you, take action now. Step out boldly in faith and conviction toward the kingdom of God and openly confess after me. Father God, I come before you repenting of known and unknown sin in my life, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking, acting, and showing up in life. Jesus, you're welcome to take up permanent residence as my king upon the throne of my heart. I confess your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sin on that cross at Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now consider growing in a good Bible-based church, surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will assist you in edifying and building up your newfound faith in Christ. Congratulations and God bless you on making the wisest and most important decision of your lifetime. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available daily.
a special Children's Jesus Talk University podcast airs on Wednesdays. So tune in along with your children for Bible stories that you might just be familiar with. Our episodes discuss and share Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love in action looks like, as well as miracles and parables in the teachings of Jesus's ministry. This is an open invitation for you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on an adventure of exploration of all things pertaining to Jesus. And if you like this episode, make sure to like and subscribe so you'll get the latest releases as they become available. And you know, much of today's podcast is referenced from my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring, compelling, or perhaps wish to do a rigorous deep dive study on your own, you can pick up a copy from my website at pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. But importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. It's full of God's word and it's waiting for you to read it. Until next time, remember you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. And a final word from Paul given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4 says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and a power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God bless you, friends.